Hey, good morning, church. I want to give a shout out to everyone watching online. We are so glad that you are uh, with us through that medium. Uh, before we get into God's word together, uh, wanted to remind you, and maybe for some of you, you haven't been around to hear this. Maybe you have been around, but you, but you forgot. Uh, in the, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about a God-sized vision. And this is a vision that doesn't come from me or from Pastor Aaron or from our board of stewards. This is a vision we see directly from Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, a verse that is right before he ascends to heaven, which happens in verse 9. In verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And then Jesus gives in a very strategical method four places that we are to be witnesses. He says, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and then in all Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about an approach where it's not one of the four, but how can we as a church, especially as we grow, how can we be more faithful to all four of those areas? To be faithful to Jerusalem would be right where we are, right where you live, right where you are, that you can be a witness whether you're in middle school or whether you're working at Target or what, I don't even know where Target came from because there's not even one in our county. That's a weird word thing to come to your mind. I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't even like Target. Uh, shh, don't tell anybody. Uh, over, uh, uh, wherever you are, wherever you be, that, that you're going to be a witness, right? Maybe uh, Judea would be our region, okay? So it's, it's people like me, but they're further than me. Geographically, maybe it'd be our state. Maybe it'd be northwestern Ohio. Samaria would be people who are like me, but they're not like me. Maybe they speak a different language, or they vote differently than me, or, or they have a different color of skin, or whatever it would be. And, and, and looking at how can we be witnesses to people who they're like me, but they're not like me. And then even to the ends of the earth, that across the world, people of different languages and tribes, that we can be witnesses. And so what we've, we've talked about is, is we want to be prayerful. We want to be going. In fact, next week, we're going to have an incredible outreach opportunity. All you have to do is come to church, and then there'll be a little bit of homework, and I'm not going to tell you what that is. And if we, if we, if we all work together, we're going to be able to serve 150 people who are like us, but not like us, who won't even have the opportunity to be in a physical service with us. And uh, to be, to be, it's going to be awesome. I can't give you any more details or I'll get in trouble. So um, you got to come back next week for that. But then part of it is giving. And so we've asked you that today, Super Bowl Sunday, that you would come with a faith promise card. If you forgot yours, that's all right. We have plenty of them out in the lobby. And we're asking you just to, to let us know what is on your mind as you've been praying about how you can participate. And we really do believe that together we can continue the mission of Christ. Together we are better and we can fulfill this mission that Jesus has given us. And so uh, maybe you've had some time to look over that. If this is all brand new to you and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about to chant, um, you can grab one of these and you can bring it in even next week. Um, if you have your faith promise cards, they can go in the white buckets, the same white buckets that you put the blue connect cards in. You can stick these faith promise cards in at the end. And the whole reason for us wanting to receive these is so we can know what kind of commitments we can make as a church to many partner ministries and missionaries right here across the street and around the world. So thank you for your help with that. Also at the table um, out in the lobby that has these, we also have our um, missions. These are revived some of them uh, that we have new pictures. There's new pictures. Uh, there's been a few additions to this. And so put this in a place where you'll pray for them. 
Okay, maybe, maybe you have a holy chair in your house and that's like where you pray and you have like a little end table next to it. Put your Bible there. You can, you can stick this next to that. Maybe you're like me and you eat. And so ours is on our refrigerator and is, we, I just changed out to the new one. So we had the old one there for a year and now we have the new one. And uh, so I spend way too much time looking at the refrigerator. So hopefully this reminds me and it maybe for you to, to pray because we don't want to just give you know, I mean, giving only gets us so far. We believe in the power of prayer as well. And so we want to pray for these individuals and ask God to encourage them and ask God to open doors for them. And then, and then there's a guide. If you're wondering, how do I pray? We have a, a prayer guide as well that you can take. And all of that is at that table out in the lobby. Well, we are starting a brand new series this morning called The Puzzle of Purpose. The Puzzle of Purpose. And today is going to be a good old-fashioned Bible study. So in a few minutes, we're going to find ourselves in Ephesians 4. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to work our way through the first 13 verses of Ephesians 4. So I want to give you plenty of notice, because that's basically going to be our whole uh, sermon time. It's going to be working our way through Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 13. So if you have a a good old-fashioned Bible like mine, sometimes it takes a little longer. If you're using the app on your phone, you can go and and, uh, figure out where Ephesians is. As you're turning there, the puzzle of purpose, really what we're talking about is the fact that one of our greatest needs in life, and, and this would be for everybody in the room. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how rich you are, how poor you are, how much education you have under your belt, maybe how uneducated you are, here's a need. Every person in this room, everybody watching online right now, we all have a need for purpose. In fact, you take away purpose, you you can have all the money in the world, you don't have purpose and life really begins to suck real quick, right? Like we have an incredible need in our lives for purpose. And, and, and really the truth of the matter is we're all looking for a reason, roaming through the night, just to find our place in this world, right? We want to know that we have a purpose. And this search for purpose, quite honestly, has puzzled, puzzled people since the very beginning of time. I mean, this is an age-old question. You can look at all the philosophers and this idea of what is my life all about? And what has happened throughout the years, really throughout the centuries, is that when people think about purpose, what often happens is that we often will look to ourselves, to figure out what is my purpose. We look within. In fact, there's a lot of self-help gurus, even to this day, that would be like, oh, you wanna find your purpose, you gotta look within, you gotta start with yourself. But the truth of the matter is, you'll never find your purpose by looking within. I love what Rick Warren says. He says, you didn't create yourself, so there's no way you can tell yourself what you were created for. I've got to look to the one who actually created me and fashioned me and formed me. I've got to ask him, God, what is is my purpose? What is my purpose? And so uh, in a minute, we're going to get in Ephesians chapter 4. And and, and really to help us out before we start reading verse 1, we're going to to look at purpose today. And and in the beginning, you'll see kind of some glimpses of purpose. And and then I'm going to warn you, we're going to get into some stuff. You're going to be like, where is the purpose and all that? And then as we end, you'll hopefully come back to this idea of purpose. But but here's the thing, as, you, as we're reading in Ephesians chapter four, I just want us to understand what we're reading today because the Bible is a collection of books. There's actually, this is a whole library of books in our Bibles and Ephesians is in the last part of the Bible. It's called the New Testament. This is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul around 61 AD. So this would be far after Jesus' death and resurrection. 
And Paul is writing to a group of, of Jesus followers that he knew very personally. He had actually lived with them and ministered to them for about three years. Most scholars believe that he spent more time with this group of people than he did with really any other group of people other than maybe other fellow prisoners or inmates. And so, so he, he's, he spent some time with them. He helped establish this church. And now he finds himself in a prison cell in Rome. And he's in prison, not because he stole a car or he was dealing drugs or he cheated on his taxes. He's in prison because he has refused to bend to the operating system of the world that Caesar is Lord and that Caesar is God. And that's the Caesar, in order to keep his power, would... would would proclaim that and everyone would go along with it and it would actually be a greeting. Like if you were talking to somebody, and hey, how are you doing? We would say, hey, how are you doing? They would say, Caesar is Lord. And the person would say, Caesar is Lord. And Paul was like, no, 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 no. Caesar is not Lord. Well, who is Lord? I believe Jesus, a Jewish Nazarene is Lord, that he died on the cross And he was risen from the dead and he proved that he is the son of God. I believe that he is Lord. And so they would say, well, you can't can't be saying that, Paul. You can't be getting in in front of crowds and telling them that Caesar isn't Lord, that Jesus is Lord. And so it gets him in hot water. He ends up in prison. And when he writes this letter that we're going to read, in fact, it's going to come up in verse 1, he's writing literally from from prison. And just spoiler alert, the end of his life is not going to be good. He's actually going to be condemned and he will be executed because of his refusal to recant that Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar being Lord. Aren't you glad for that little history lesson? Okay, I did that so you would find your place to Ephesians 4. Is everybody there now? Everybody in Ephesians chapter 4? Here, here, just right out of the gates, we're going to hear about our purpose. He says this, he says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Literally, not just figuratively, I am in prison. I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord. He goes, I beg you. Or maybe in some of your translations, it would be, I beseech thee. Or maybe in some of your translations, I urge you. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. I'm begging you to lead a life worthy of your calling. And then he says this, For you have been called by God. He's writing to just a bunch of average, ordinary followers of Jesus in a remote geographical location. He says, you have been called by God. And I believe that if Paul could sit down with you, maybe at Arby's across the table, he would look you in the eyes and he would say, you are called by God. In fact, would you turn to the person next to you and say, you are called by God. If you're watching online, in the comments, type that. You are called by God. Listen, I, and I know that we kind of hear that and we go, oh, okay, yeah maybe, yeah, maybe I could believe that Steve Drown was called by God. He looks like someone who's called by God, but Ken, you do, I, I'm not called by God. I don't know that much about the Bible. I don't know, I haven't been in church world very long. I don't know all the words that you guys use, like redeemed and all these big words. And so I, I'm not, no. Paul would say, you are called by God. He said, okay, called to what? Like, what is this calling of God that that I have? Well, earlier in this letter, Paul answers that question. 
In fact, at the very beginning of his letter, he spells out the calling of God that is upon every follower of Jesus. I mean, literally, the third verse into his letter, after he gets through the introductions, you know, I, Paul, blah, blah, blah. Verse three, he gets into the calling. Maybe you need to turn a few pages to get there real quick, but beginning in verse three, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Okay, wait. Some of you didn't even hear me because I'm quoting scripture and your scripture just goes right over your head. But think about what Paul just said. He says, he has. Has is, I don't mean to get all grammarly on you, but has is past tense. He's not saying he will someday bless you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul says to these followers of Jesus, he says, it's already done. You're not, you guys aren't with me. You're not hearing me. Think about this. Paul says, you already have been, past tense, blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Isn't that incredible to think? I mean, I just wonder, like, if we actually got that, how it would begin to change things in our lives. You are called. You're called, called to what? You've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's amazing. He says, for he chose us. Listen, he chose you. Turn to the person next to you and say, he chose you. He chose you. He chose you. He chose me. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Think about it. Before he even fashioned this world, he chose you. He saw you. You're not an accident. I don't care what your parents said. You're not. There are no accidents. Scripture clearly says he chose you before he created the world. He chose us in him. And what did he choose for us? That we would be holy and blameless in his sight. To which, I mean, in our modern culture, we go, well, that's, I don't want to be chosen for that. That's the greatest thing in the eyes of God. Holiness is otherworldly. He chose you to be holy and blameless. And listen, you aren't holy and blameless in yourself. That's what we just sang in that last song. That's what Pastor Aaron was alluding to in communion. We have nothing to offer him. We have no holiness or righteousness or blamelessness. It is a gift that he has given us. And God chose us. He chose you. You are called. You have purpose. He says he predestined us, verse five, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. Think about this. He has adopted you. He doesn't just call you servant or slave. He adopted you. He has brought you into his own family. You are a son. You are a daughter of the most high God. This is who you really are. All of this that Paul is saying here, this this is who you are. This is your calling. This is your identity. This is your purpose. He says, verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He's forgiven you. He's freed you. He's redeemed you. This is incredible. You've been called by God. You've been chosen by God. He's forgiven you. You're no longer who you used to be. You're no longer in sin. You're no longer in death. You're no longer in darkness. You're no longer in 
condemnation or captivity. Because of what God has done for us and his calling on our lives, Paul begs us in verse one. Some of you are going, we're going to go through 13 verses. How long is he going to take with this? But once you see what he's, in verse one, what he says, he says, I beg you, I'm urging you, follower of Jesus, to live a life worthy of that calling. In, order, in other words, my behavior, my actions, my speech, my reactions and responses should be in accordance with, in alignment with the way that God has called me. And let, me let me give you an example. This is, this is not a biblical example per se. So this is just a, an example in life, right? So, so one of the things, I've, I'm a big fan of declarations. I'm a big fan of, of just, I, I think our words have power. And so, so one, of the thing, one of my declarations for this year is, and, and I use declarations that aren't necessarily true of me because I'm trying to make them true of me. Everybody with me? So a declaration, here's my declaration. I, I know I'm confusing you. It, it, since the beginning of the year is I am healthy. This is one of my declarations. And it's my declaration because I'm not really healthy, right? So, so I'm, I'm trying to change my identity. I'm trying to change how I see myself, how I perceive myself. And so I'm healthy, right? So I, I, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, right? And so one of the things I did in the beginning of the year, you know, I'm going around saying I'm healthy. I wrote on a post-it note and I've, I've got it stuck in several different places is a, a simple question. What would a healthy person do? Right, because I'm walking around going, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, as I'm eating a whole bag of Doritos, I'm healthy, right? So it's not just enough like to have this mantra, it's not just enough to have this declaration, I have to stop and think, well, what would a healthy person do in this moment, in this opportunity, what would a healthy person do? And maybe even what would a healthy person not do, right? Because I, I wanna start living in alignment with this declaration that I'm making over myself, over this new identity that, that I'm believing that God has for me. And that, this is just from Kendi Chant world, okay? But maybe it helps you to understand what Paul is talking about when he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. Paul is saying you're called by God. He has blessed you, he's chosen you, he loves you, he adopted you, he redeemed you, he forgave you. So what? would a blessed, chosen, loved, adopted, redeemed, forgiven person do? How would this person act? How would they react? How would that kind of person talk to other people around them? And Paul tells us, really, in the next verse, he tells us exactly how this person would act, how this person would react. In verse two, he says, always be humble and gentle. To which we all go, oh, bless you, Paul, right? What, what, what does he say? He says, always be what? You guys, I love how you guys say, always be humble and gentle, right? Because we don't want to be. We live in a culture, listen, one of the mantras of this culture is loud and proud, we reward people, we celebrate people, we vote for people who are as abrasive and loud and proud as they possibly can be, right? We, this is so countercultural that there would be a group of people who claim that Jesus is Lord who would always be humble and gentle. Like we don't even, 
Like these aren't even necessarily attributes that this culture esteems, right? But Paul says, if you're gonna live a life worthy of the calling, this is what it looks like. Always be humble and gentle. If that's not bad enough, he keeps going. He says, be patient with each other. Now don't be elbowing the person next to you as I'm going through these lists, right? Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of what? Because of your, because of your love. Well, how can I have any love? I only have love because God first loved me. I received the love that he had toward a knucklehead like me, toward a sinner like me. And so I love him, but loving him is very clear in scripture, involves loving other people as well. I can't just say I love God if I don't love my fellow man, right? This is be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort. Listen to the language that he's using here. He's saying, listen, this is gonna be hard. Not everybody is gonna be doing this. You're gonna stand out. People are gonna think you're weird. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Well, that's kind of a weird one, right? Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Why is that? Because it's so easy to get out of the spirit. It's so easy to get, Paul says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. He says, why do we need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit? Because it's easy for me to go my own direction. I can start off the day like with a fascinating, incredible prayer time. I'm reading the word. Oh, I got so much out of it. And an hour later, I'm nitpicking and criticizing and judging and comparing. It's so easy to get out of the spirit, right? He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves, plural, that's more than one person, binding yourselves together with peace. Aren't you so glad you came and listened to the sermon today from Ephesians chapter four? You're like, come on, Paul. But this is what it means to live a life worthy of the calling. And you have been called, right? You have been called. And so how would a called person act? Paul's saying this is how a called person would act. When Paul talks about how a called person would act, he uses ideas like humility and gentleness and patience and unity and peace. And I have found that I do pretty good at these attributes as long as I'm all by myself. <laughs> right? I'm a pretty gentle, humble, patient, unity-loving, peaceful person. It's everybody else who messes it up. Once I get around you knuckleheads, all the gentleness is gone, right? It's all gone, it's all out the window, right? And so in order to grow in these attributes, humility, gentleness, patience, unity, and peace, you, you can't grow in these attributes all by yourself. You grow in these attributes as you get around other people, right? They stretch you. Do you have any people in your life who stretch you? Oh, you're so holy. Oh, man, I'm the only one, right? But just because we're part of a community doesn't mean that we will automatically mature. We all know this. We know people who, we know people who have been in church. I remember growing up in a church and I love my church. It was a great church. It's formed me in so many ways. But there were people in that church, they had been in that church for, I don't know, I think they came with the church. 
They've been there forever, and they are the meanest, crankiest, most judgmental, critical people ever, right? So just because you're around church world, just because you're around other Christians, doesn't mean that humility and gentleness and patience and unity and peace just automatically come. There's got to be something else with this, right? And Paul goes on, he says what it is. Verse four, he says, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. What, what, what is he saying? He, listen, here's the thing you need to understand about the body of Christ. The body of Christ is both inclusive and exclusive. Say, so, well, Ken, what do you mean? It's inclusive in the sense that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. It's an open invitation. Everybody is, the, the, the doors are wide open to whosoever. Anybody who understands that Jesus is Lord, they're welcome. Doesn't matter their ethnicity, doesn't matter their age, none of that matters, whosoever. It's incredibly inclusive. And yet the kingdom of God is incredibly exclusive in the sense that we all must submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what unites us. We can be united regardless of all the other stuff. We can be united by the fact that there is only one name given under heaven by which you might be saved, but the name of Jesus And so with all of our differences and with our diversity and with all of our experiences and maybe different levels of education with all the different, all the stuff we bring together and we unite ourselves and we submit ourselves under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I, and I, and I, and I have opinions and you have opinions and I have traditions that I value and you have traditions that you value, but we say all of that is secondary. We are submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We're submitting ourselves to the word of God. And I might not always like it and I might not always necessarily like, like think that it's great, but I've decided his word is gonna lead my life. And this is what unites us. And so when we're united under the, what, what, it goes into one God, one father of all, right? All, one faith, one bat. When we're united under the lordship of Jesus Christ, then we can begin to grow and become more humble and gentle and patient and united and peaceful. And listen, all this stuff is easier said than done, right? We need help with this. This doesn't just come automatically. We know this. We know that it just doesn't come through clicking our heels together three times and I do believe and I do believe and I do believe. Like, there's gotta be something more to this, right? And, and Paul talks about it in verse seven. He says, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. See, he recognizes that This isn't just gonna come automatically. We need something beyond ourselves. And so he, who is he? The one God and father of all who is over all and in all and living through all, right? That's what the verse before it said. He, this one God, has given each one of us, who's that? Each one of us, right? That means you. He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. You get a gift, you get a gift, and you get a gift. Everybody gets a gift, right? Each one of us, that's what Paul's saying. Each one of us gets a gift through the generosity of Christ. We all get in on it. 
There's no one, there's no one that gets excluded in this. If you are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you get in on this, you get a gift. And it's about this part of the passage where we start leaning in, right? It's about this part of the passage where we go, oh, I like gifts. How many of you like to get a gift? The rest of you are lying because everybody likes to get a gift, right? You would not turn down a gift, right? He says, he, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And then Paul's gonna do something that Paul often does that exhausts so many of us. He's gonna go down a rabbit trail that I'm just gonna be completely honest, is a little bit confusing. And I might, not, I might not try to do this in the first service because they're probably not nearly as smart and intelligent and scholarly as you guys are. But because I know you guys are so smart, we're gonna go down this rabbit trail. Even the apostle Peter in, uh, I believe it's 1 Peter chapter three, he says, listen, Paul can be hard to understand sometimes, okay? And so he's just gotten done saying, God has given us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And listen, the readers would be like, oh, come on now. And now he's gonna deviate for a couple of verses. So just hang with us. He says, that is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse nine, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. You got all that, right? Somebody's just going, I just want to know about the gifts, <laughs> right? Like what? Ascended, descended, I don't care. Just tell us about the gifts. Well, let me just get a little nerdy for a second. This was, a lot of this was cultural. And in 2024, we don't understand the culture of AD 61, right? And so in this culture, who was the dominant empire of this culture? Anybody remember? The Roman Empire, right? And in the Roman Empire, this was like, especially in ancient civilization and, 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 and think Genghis Khan, think kind of the, 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 some of those eras, like power was shown by dominance militarily, right? That's how power was shown. That's how authority was shown. And so, so you would have these military generals that would go off with a whole mass of troops and they would go to regions that weren't yet under the thumb of the Roman Empire and they would conquer, right? Or sometimes I guess they would get conquered, but in the Roman Empire, most of the times they were the one conquering. And they would come back to Rome, which is the capital of the Roman Empire, and it would be this huge parade. I mean, not like any parade you've ever seen. I know Clyde throws some really good parades, but this was like, I mean, this was an incredible parade and this conquering general would come into town and it would be all the troops and, and they would even include some of the captives that, that, had, you know, that they had taken you know, through their battles and all that. And there would be all the spoils of victory and all the spoils of war. And this would be, I mean, all, everything would shut down for this parade. And and Paul, Paul quotes this, verse eight, he says, that is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. This is, this is like what, this is what would be done, except for Paul messes it up a little, but he does it intentionally, okay? I don't want you to think I'm like casting stones on Paul. When, when he's quoting, he's actually quoting Psalm 68, verse 18. And let me read you the original. The original says, when you ascended on high, you led captives in your train and you, what's the word there? You received gifts from men. Do you notice what Paul says? Let's go back to, to Ephesians chapter four. That was, that was the ancient uh, uh, psalm that, that Paul quoted. 
Paul says, that is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and he what? He gave gifts to his people. Okay, in about a minute, the light bulb's gonna come on. Back then, conquering general comes into town and everybody would give the conquering general gifts, right? Jesus, our conquering hero, he's conquered once and for all darkness. He's conquered Satan, all the dominions of Satan. And he, he doesn't receive gifts like any other conquering hero would do. What does our conquering hero do? He gives gifts. He gives gifts. I love that. So, so Paul has already said he's given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And so we're like, okay, what are the gifts, right? I want to know about these gifts. Verse 11, now these are the gifts Christ gave the church. And I'm ready right now, right? Like I'm amped. You know, I'm so excited. I'm hoping it's a new microwave because mine's been a little on the fritz. I don't know what's going on. Or maybe it's going to, I don't know. What, maybe you're hoping for a gift that has an eye in front of it, like an iPad or an iPhone or an iMac or, or something. I don't know what you think. But he, oh man, I'm ready, Paul. What do we get? Tell me about your gifts, right? Now these are the gifts Christ gave. The apostles, wait, that doesn't doesn't sound like a very cool gift. The prophets, what? The evangelists and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Can I just say, If you don't know what this is all about, this seems rather anticlimactic. Maybe you'd be looking at this and you're going, that seems kind of disappointing. That's the gift. I was hoping for something bigger, better, something shinier. But Paul says that these are the gifts that Jesus has given to the church. And the Bible is clear that Jesus is the giver of good and perfect gifts. So maybe... Maybe just maybe there's more to these gifts than we've ever understood. Maybe we don't, maybe the reason why we look at these gifts like apostle, prophet, evangelist, that's a gift. Maybe there's more going on here than we realize. See, Jesus, our conquering hero, considers these gifts to be of utmost value. And he has complete wisdom and he is so incredibly generous how could we pass on or neglect what he has gone to such great lengths to give to us? In fact, when we receive and learn how to exercise the gifts that Jesus has given us, all of us, the church, the church isn't the building, the church is us, all of us, God's people, that's you and I, will be equipped to do what God wants us to do and the body of Christ will be built up as a result. And here's what I want you to get. The elephant in the room is that for many of you, you've been following Jesus for a while. And truth be told, and you would never say this out loud, but Christianity has become quite boring. It's become quite monotonous. And sometimes you just feel like you're just going through the motions and you're just doing this out of routine or out of, I don't know, you just better to come to church, I guess, than to die and go to hell. So I guess I'll suck it up for a couple you know, hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half of a week. And I would submit to you that Christianity becomes far less boring when we stop seeing the church as merely sitting in rows of chairs, listening to a guy spit. And we instead realize that God has called each one of us to be active participants in what he is doing in our community and world. 
And in church world, there's not JV and varsity. Okay, basketball, we were at a basketball game, a couple basketball games last night. In the church, there's there's no bench in the church. Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to be a participant. Next week, we're gonna, I'm going to start explaining and demystifying these five gifts. We're going to get into what is this about the apostle. By the way, the apostle isn't just like a title. It's not just an office. I'm, I'm the apostle Bernard. You know, hopefully, there's no Bernards in the room that I'm offending. I would submit to you, part, part of this is even the gift of apostleship. And there's far more of you in this room that God has given this gift. You don't even know that you've been given this gift because no one's ever unpacked it. No one's ever talked to you about this. And this puzzle of purpose has been puzzling because you've never, ha- you've never heard these things explained. And I, I believe there's many people in this room who are gifted in things like apostleship and prophecy and evangelism and shepherding and teaching, and when we begin to understand, oh, that's the gift that God has given me? And we begin to develop and exercise that gift. See, see, just because you have a gift doesn't mean that you understand the gift. I have all kinds of muscles. In fact, this is one body full of muscles, right? But you look at me and you go, I'm not buying it to chant, <laughs> right? The muscles are there, they just haven't been developed. They haven't been exercised. They haven't grown other than this muscle right here. Exercise and get that one going all the time in my mouth. See, you may be gifted and you don't even know that you're gifted. But I believe if you stick around over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna unpack these gifts. We're gonna talk about what these gifts are all about. And what if you understood how God has gifted you and as you understand how God has gifted you, it's not about being prideful or, yeah, I'm gifted in this way. But as you understand how God has gifted you and you begin to step into that function and other people in this room realize how God has gifted them and they step into their function, Christianity stops being so boring because now we're all in the game and we're all doing the stuff. We're all doing what's in the word of God. We're, we're actually, we're seeing God move in powerful ways and we're better together. The last verse that we're gonna, he keeps going, but we're just gonna stop with verse 13. He says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Oh, let it be, (laughs) right? When we're functioning in the way that God designed us to function, the church will come to a full knowledge of God. And that's just not facts and information about God. That's experiential knowledge. In the Greek word that Paul is using here is, is an experiential knowledge. Like I can know about Cedar Point, but then I can go there and experience it. I promise you the person who's never been there and just has the facts and information doesn't really know it. And Paul says, man, you begin to understand these giftings and you're gonna begin to know God in a way that you've never known him before. We begin to see a more complete picture of who he is. Each one of the five gifts has a different aspect to focus on, a distinct viewpoint. But together, they vividly show the glory of God. And our church and so many churches have been lacking because we haven't really unpacked this. We haven't talked about this. And this is one of the things that we're committed to moving forward. We wanna wanna see God move in all five of these areas in our church. 
Earlier I was talking about purpose. When I discover God's purpose for my life and I start functioning in that purpose, I come alive and so will you. Not only that, but when I humbly do what God has created me to do and I do it for his glory, not my own, other people get blessed in the process. So over the next couple of weeks, we're just gonna, we're gonna walk through each one of those, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And my prayer is gonna be, maybe a couple of them are just gonna be duds for you. You're gonna be like, I didn't get anything out of that. But there'll be that one. There you go. I think that's what God put in me to do. And man, watch out. You begin to exercise that gift. You begin to step into that gift. You begin to develop that gift. And you get better and we all get better, right? So I know I've gone a long time with this. I do want, I do want to say this before we end. This gift is, that we're talking about in Ephesians 4, the, the five, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, it's an incredible gift, but it's not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is what we were talking about earlier with communion and what I alluded to earlier. The greatest gift is when you understand that you have a purpose and that purpose is in Christ. You'll never understand purpose apart from Christ. You can't. But when you understand that God so loved you in your lostness, when you were going in your own direction, when you were sin-stained and sin-covered, in your brokenness and helplessness and powerless, God saw you and he loved you. In fact, he's loved you since before you were born. We mentioned that earlier. Before he created the world, he called you. He knows you. He's seen you. And he wants you to be in a relationship with him. And he went the distance in sending his son Jesus to come to this world. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He didn't sin like you and I sin. And he healed people and he performed miracles and he taught. But ultimately, Jesus went to the cross to take upon himself the curse of your sin and my sin. He said, Ken, I don't like you talking to me like that. I, I, I don't think I'm that much of a sinner. You should see the person sitting next to me. Like, I, I don't like you saying I'm a sinner. Well, can I just say we've all sinned? Hi, my name is Ken. And I don't want to say it, but I've been jealous way more than I should be. And I judge people way more than I should. And I've been greedy and I've been prideful and I've been selfish. And all of those are sins. All those separate me from God and they separate me from other people that God loves. You've sinned. I've sinned. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus came to this world and he became one of us and he died on the cross to take the curse of our sin upon himself, to take the punishment of our sin upon himself. And if we'll believe in him and if we'll confess that he is Lord, that he has risen from the dead, and if we'll begin to live our lives in alignment with him and in alignment with this new identity, we can experience purpose like we've never experienced before. We can have eternal life. We can know. We can have an assurance that our sins are forgiven. We can be empowered to live in a way that he wants us to live. We won't get it perfect. I don't get it perfect. I know Pastor Aaron doesn't get it perfect. But we're on this journey. It's a journey of sanctification. It's a journey of saying, Jesus, today, empower me. Forgive me, help me to live for you. 
So I'm going to ask you all over this room if you close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you're already in, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a great time to pray. Just pray that God would move in this place, that God would, would open spiritual eyes and open spiritual ears. If you're here and you, this is like the whole sermon, you're like, Ken, I didn't understand pretty much anything you said this morning. <laughs> but what you've been saying at the end, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I need my sins forgiven. I know that I've been living my life for myself and it has not been working out. And you said that part about being broken and helpless and powerless, Ken, that's me. That's been my life. I need God's forgiveness. I need him to do something inside of me that I can't do for myself. With your eyes closed, with your heads bowed, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna have you stand. I'm not gonna have other people come around you. I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front. We're gonna, and actually in a month, we're gonna have baptisms where we're gonna publicly announce what God is doing in our lives. But if that's you and you say, Ken, will you pray for me? I need, I need God to come into my life. I need Jesus in my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'd love to be able to pray with you. Yeah, I see you right there. You can lower your hand. Yeah, I see you. I see you. I see you over there. I see you right there. I see you right there. Yeah, I see you right there. Anybody else? Yep, I see you. I see you right there too. Yep, I see you. Yeah, anybody else? It's the greatest gift you could ever receive. So many hands. Would you... I'm gonna ask everybody in this room, whether you raised your hand or not, would you just pray this with me? You can pray it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I believe he is the son of God, that he was crucified and risen from the dead. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I need you to be the master of my life. Empower me to follow you. Thank you for adopting me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray over you guys. Father, I pray, uh, Lord, I'm just blown away at the number of hands that just went up a moment ago. God, you see each one, each one uniquely. You see them. We read earlier that before you created the world, that you saw them, you called them. So Father, I pray right now, I speak spiritual protection over them. I pray that that this response today, this would just be the beginning of a journey of actually actively following after you. God, that they would understand their identity. And as you empower them, they would begin to live a life worthy of your calling. I pray their roots would grow into your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before, before we go, a couple things. If you raise your hands, so many of you raised your hands a moment ago. Pastor Aaron had mentioned the blue connect card at the beginning of the service. On the bottom of that card, there's a place where you can check that you're starting a relationship with Jesus or maybe you're reaffirming a relationship with Jesus. If you would check that, that just helps us to be able to pray for you, and we do. And, 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 and we want to come alongside you and offer you some helps that we can text you and email you and, and would even uh, love an invitation to meet with you and help you and coach you in following Jesus. So if you would check that, that would be great.
We have prayer partners. In fact, I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come right now. And maybe we didn't, you know, usually you come to Journey and during our worship time, we have an opportunity for prayer. And maybe you walked in these doors today with something heavy on your heart. Maybe, maybe you have a family member who's going through something and you, you just want to pray for them. Or maybe you're going through something and you need prayer. Maybe you raised your hand. And, and, and you want to know what that means. They would love, love, love to be able to pray for you. I mean, this is way bigger than even the Super Bowl today, right? Like, who cares who wins or loses or all that, right? I don't even care if it was the Browns, right? Like, ultimately, this is what lasts forever. Is the kind of stuff we're talking about today. And so, if you raised your hand as everybody else is leaving, just take a minute. You would make their day to just say, hey, I prayed that prayer. Would you, would you pray with me? They would love, love, love to be able to pray for you. Would you, would you stand to your feet? Also remember those faith promise cards are going in the white buckets as well. This week, may you know that you have purpose. May you know that you are called by the creator of the universe. And may you live a life worthy of the calling. God bless you guys. We'll see you later.